You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. If you've got your Bibles there, please go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, as we dive back into our series on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. And as you're turning there to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, let's go ahead and put that first slide up on the screen because this iceberg is, is really true for each one of us in our lives. Because all of us here, we have things that we do. Every day we have things that we do And then we have the reasons why we do those things. So all of us have behavior that's that's above the surface. And then all of us also have motives that are below the surface. So every day, we all day long, we, we are saying things. We say things and we are doing things. But why? Why do we say what we say? And why do we do what we do? Well, here's why. It's because of our motives. Our motives drive everything that we do. So let me ask you, how often do you think about your motives? How often do you think like, okay, so why do I say the things that I say? Why do I do the things that I do? How often do you think about your motives? Because sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking this way up on the screen. We can think that if if someone has good behavior then that means that they have good motives. Or, up on the screen, if someone has bad behavior, then that means that they must have bad motives. But there's a third category here as well up on the screen, that someone can have good behavior, but bad motives. And this is a very dangerous category. And a very clear example of this in Scripture, of course, is the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they were the teachers in ancient Israel. They were the Bible experts. But they were also experts in how to have excellent behavior. But here's what Jesus said about their motives up on the screen. He said this. He said, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus is saying that everything that the Pharisees did, everything, everything that these experts in the scriptures, these these men who, who knew the scriptures like the back of their hand, everything they did, Jesus said, was motivated by the desire to be seen by other people. And so here's the warning for us today, that if you and I aren't very, very careful we can easily find ourselves doing the exact same thing. Where where we are presenting ourselves a certain way on the outside with our behavior, but all the while motivated on the inside by the desire to be seen and respected and praised and admired by other people. And that leads us right into point number one, which is this, it's a warning It's a warning. If I live to be seen by man, I will forfeit God's reward. If I live to be seen by man, I will forfeit God's reward. Have a look with me now at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says this. Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
Now notice that Jesus starts off with this word beware. He's, he's giving his disciples and all of us here today a warning. He's saying, he's saying, beware, be careful, watch out. This thing is really, really dangerous. And so what is Jesus warning us about specifically? Well, look again at verse 1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And that word righteousness there, it means, it means correctness in behavior or outward forms of godliness. So here's what Jesus is saying up on the screen. He's saying, beware of seeking to draw attention to yourself with things like your devotional life or your good works or the ways that you help other people or ways that you're serving or different ministries that you're involved with. Beware of drawing attention to yourself with these things if, if up on the screen, your motive is to be seen by man. And Jesus isn't giving us this warning for no reason. He gives us this warning because all of us struggle with sin. And therefore, we are all in danger of doing this. We're all in danger of doing things in order to be seen by other people. And so why is that the case? Why would we ever want to do anything to be seen by other people? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us why in Romans chapter 6, up on the screen. Look what he says. He says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that we, we all, all of us, we have this thing inside of us called sin. It's a bottomless pit of evil and wickedness with no bounds. And it's in us. It's within us. And here's what it wants to do. It wants to reign over our bodies. It wants to rule over our bodies. It wants to make us obey its passions. It wants to make us obey its desires. But if we are here today and we're saved in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are no longer enslaved to sin. Amen? Let's try that even one more time, okay? If we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are no longer enslaved to sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's right. We are no longer enslaved to sin, but it's still there. It's still present inside of us, seeking to influence and seeking to control. And what does sin want us to do? Well, here's exactly what sin wants us to do. Sin wants us to turn away from God and turn away from living for his glory and instead to focus on ourselves and to try to find some kind of satisfaction in living for our own glory. God describes this turning away in Jeremiah chapter 2 up on the screen. God says this, he says, For my people have committed two evils. Here's the first one. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So God is saying, he's the fountain of living waters. He's saying, I am everything my people need. Everything. Everything. Satisfaction is only found in me, he says. I'm the fountain of living waters. And here's what my people have done. They were facing me. Now they have turned away. They have walked away. They have forsaken me. That's the first evil. The second, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
So the picture here is, is people turning away from the fountain of living waters, moving away from God, being very thirsty because they're no longer drinking, so looking around for something to satisfy them. So they dig these holes in the ground in the hopes that maybe some rainwater will get in there. They can stick their head in this pit and drink some dirty, disgusting, muddy water. But, but the, the cisterns can't even hold water. They're broken. It's futile. So the picture is turning away from God and seeking to be satisfied in something else. And one of the biggest broken cisterns that we can have in our life is this. It's the broken cistern of self-glory. It's turning away from God and satisfaction in him and moving away and seeking to be satisfied in doing things to be seen by other people. This is what sin wants us to do. Sin wants us to seek satisfaction in self-glory. So here's a question. Does that mean that we, th- we shouldn't ever then do like anything good in front of other people? Does it mean that we should, if we do anything good, we should like cover it up and not let anyone ever see it? Is, is that what we're supposed to do? Well, consider what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let's keep one finger in Matthew chapter 6 and turn back in our Bibles for a second to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. You might remember that we went through this verse all the way back in 2023. Remember that? All the way back in 2023, we looked at this verse. Let's look at it again. Verse 16. Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see, notice, see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, let your light shine. Let others see your good works. Let your light shine. Let other people see your good works if, if your motive is that God would get the glory. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, Don't shine so others can see you. Shine so others can see him. Don't shine so others can see you. Shine so others can see him. So it is right for others to see our good works if, if our motive is that God would get glory. But here's the problem. So often, we can find ourselves doing things in other, for, for other people, in front of other people, not so God gets the glory, but so that we get the glory. And so Jesus warns us. He says, he says beware, beware of this, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, there's lots of different ways that we can try to be seen We could go try to find some people somewhere and maybe do something in front of them, noble, and they can see us. Or maybe we we go and do something, you know, that's really cool, and we come and tell everyone about it so they can kind of see us in that way. But one of the primary ways that we can be seen by people in our day and in our culture is through what? Social media. Because with social media, we don't actually have to do anything in front of other people because they can now see us virtually at any time. 
And, and we're not limited to just a few people seeing us or maybe the people in our town or the people in our city. Now the whole world can see us. Now we have a way to show everyone in the whole world things like how devoted we are to God or, or all of our Bible knowledge or uh, all of our good works. We also have a way of, of making it look like our family is perfect and that our marriage is perfect and all our children are perfect and all of our friendships are perfect and our lives are perfect and we can portray ourselves like everything is always perfect. This is a massive temptation in our day. I mean, just consider this. There has never been a time when it has been easier to be seen by others than right now. There has never been a time when it has been easier to portray ourselves any way we like than right now. There has never been a time when it has been easier to become completely addicted to being seen by others than it is right now, today. So we need to seriously consider what Jesus is saying to us in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So in light of verse 1, ask yourself, why do I usually say the things that I say when I'm around other people? Is that usually for God's glory or is it for my own glory? Why do I usually do the kinds of things that I do when I'm around other people? Is it usually for God's glory or is it for my own glory? Why do I post the things that I post on social media? Why do I do that? Is it for God's glory or am I doing it for my own glory? And man, it, it is so hard to honestly ask ourselves questions like this. It is so difficult to, to truly examine our motives. It's hard. But here's the truth. Jesus loves us way too much to leave us where we are. He just loves us way too much to leave us where we are. And so he's speaking to us today from his word because he wants to liberate us from living at the broken cistern of self-glory. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about our passage today up on the screen. He said this, I sometimes think that it is one of the most uncomfortable chapters to read in the scriptures. It probes and examines and holds a mirror up before us, and it will not allow us to escape. There is no chapter which is more calculated to promote self-humbling and humiliation than this one. But thank God for it. And as you and I look into the mirror today of Matthew chapter 6, beginning here at verse 1, and if we're seeing clearly, here's what we're likely seeing on some level up on the screen. I do things to be seen by others. I do. I do things to be seen by others. And I'll speak for myself right now. I struggle with this massively. I struggle with, with my motives. It's a constant battle for me. How about you? Well, if you're not sure, here's what wisdom says right now. 
wisdom says, let's just ask the Lord. Like, let's just take a, a moment just to, to each one of us to ask the Lord, Lord, show me if this is happening in my life. Lord, show me where this is happening in my life. Whose praise have I been longing to receive? Whose praise have I been chasing after? What have I been doing in order that I would be seen in a certain light? Lord, where have I been living for self-glory? Because if we're living to be seen by others and we do not repent, Jesus tells us what will happen. Look back at verse 1. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So consider what Jesus is actually saying here. He's saying that God will not reward us for anything that we do that is motivated by the desire to be seen by others. No matter what it is. God will not reward us for anything, anything that we do, if it is motivated by the desire to be seen by others. So, in other words, there will be no reward from God for helping others or doing good works or for serving or anything else if our motive for doing those things was to be seen. And again, as I consider my own heart and my own struggle with my motives and how subtle this sinful desire for self-glory is, this is actually terrifying. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 up on the screen. Look what he says. He says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Each one's work, all of our works, will, will become manifest. They will be exposed for what they are. Our motives, all of it, it will be exposed. For the capital D day, the day of judgment, will expose it. Now, if we are saved in Jesus Christ, we will not be judged. His judgment already happened at the cross for us. But our works will be. We will not be judged, but our works will be, and everything will be disclosed. It will be manifest. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." So all of our works will pass through the fire of God's judgment. Everything about our works, what we did and why we did it, will all be exposed. And the things that you and I did for God's glory, he will reward us for. But then all of the other things we did that we said was for God's glory, but it was really about us and our glory, it will all be burned up. And in that moment, there will be a sense of loss about what might have been. But he himself will be saved. So we won't be judged, but our works will be. And God will not reward us for anything that was motivated by the desire to be seen by others. So ask yourself this. 
do I believe that God's reward is better than being seen by people? Do I believe that God's reward is, is better than being seen by people? Like, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that on that day, when I step into eternity, when I step into glory, that I will experience a kind of satisfaction and a joy and a presence in, in the presence of God and in his glory that I can't even begin to imagine right now? And do I believe that in that very moment, there will be nothing greater than for God himself, for Jesus Christ, to, to come over to you, to look you right in the eye in all of his glory, and maybe to put his hand on your shoulder and say to you, my child, well done. Well done. You lived for my glory. Well done. You've been faithful over a little. And now, now, I am going to set you over much. Revelation 22 says that his servants will worship him and, and they will see his face and their, his name will be on their forehead and night will be no more and, and, and they won't need the, a light of a lamp or the sun for the Lord God will be their light and they shall reign forever and ever and ever. Again, do I believe that God's reward is better than being seen by people? Because here's the truth. There is no better reward than God's reward. Okay, that's a great place for an amen. Let's, let's do that one more time, okay? There is no better reward than God's reward. Amen. Absolutely. There is no better reward than God's reward. And if you and I really believe that, I mean, for real, if we really believe that God's reward is worth living for, then we need to listen very carefully to what Jesus is about to say because he's about to tell us how to pursue it. Look now at verse 2. Jesus says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So notice first Jesus says, he says, when you give to the needy, he doesn't say if you give to the needy. He says when you give to the needy. So Jesus clearly expected that his followers would be, would be gracious and compassionate people who gave to the needy. Now one way that we do this all together as a body is by giving to the church. Because as we give to the church, the church identifies needs and then goes and meets those needs either directly or by supporting other ministries that specialize in those areas. And just so you know, next weekend, we will have a, a whole group of ministries that are out there in the foyer that, uh, that specialize in um, caring for different uh, people in, in need. And so if you would like to give, and you're looking for opportunities to obey the Lord in this way, there will be lots of opportunity for you to partner with different ministries next weekend. But in whatever way we give, Jesus is about to tell us how not to do it. This is how we are not to give to the needy. Look again at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Now that word hypocrite there is a very interesting word. It means someone who's pretending someone who's wearing a mask, someone who's an actor, 
someone who's just putting on a big show. And the hypocrites that Jesus is referring to here specifically are the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were all about giving to the needy. The Pharisees loved to give to the needy, but the reason why they gave to the needy, their motive was to get the praise of man. So they would give to the needy in a way that would draw all kinds of attention to themselves so that people would be like, wow, look at you. You're such a holy man. Wow, you're just so generous and gracious. Wow, you must really love God. But Jesus called them hypocrites because it was just a show. One commentator put it this way, that the Pharisees actually weren't giving at all. They were purchasing. They were purchasing the praise of man by giving to the needy. That's what they were doing. They were purchasing the praise of man by giving to the needy. And Jesus says, do not be like that. Do not give in order to get the praise of man. Don't purchase the praise of man by giving to the needy. Because if you do, this will be the outcome. Look at the end of verse 2. Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, the only reward that, that those who are seeking the praise of man will get is the praise of man. That's it. The praise of man. So we can think of it this way up on the screen. Which reward am I living for? Which reward am I living for? Am I living for God's reward or am I living for man's reward? Because God's reward is eternal. God's reward lasts forever. Man's reward, the praise of man, it's momentary, it's fleeting, it's here one moment, gone the next. God's reward is satisfying. It's eternally satisfying, totally satisfying. Man's reward, the praise of man, ultimately is empty and meaningless. Living for God's reward is freedom. This is how we've been created to live. We've been created to live for God's reward. Living for man's reward, living for man's praise is bondage. It's idolatry. Living at the broken cistern of living for self-glory will do nothing but ruin our lives. So which reward have you been living for? The reward of God or the reward of man? And more importantly, which reward do you want to live for? Because that leads us right to our second and final point, which is a promise. It's a promise, and here's the promise. If I give to be seen by God, I will receive God's reward. If I give to be seen by God, I will receive God's reward. Have a look now at verse 3. Verse 3, Jesus gives us instruction. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So here's how we are to give. We are to give in secret. So here's what that doesn't mean, okay? Giving in secret does not mean that no one ever sees our giving and no one ever knows about our giving at all. That's not what giving in secret means. Giving in secret means this. It means giving with the motive of being seen by God and not with the motive of being seen by man for self-glory. 
It means giving with the motive of giving for an audience of one and not for an audience of man, including this audience right here in the text. Look at verse 3 again. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, don't give with the motive of being seen by you. Don't give so that you can then congratulate yourself on your giving or, or think about how generous you are or, or so you can admire yourself and give yourself glory. Instead, do this up on the screen. Turn away from the broken cistern of giving to be seen by others. Turn away from the broken cistern of giving to be seen by yourself. Instead, do this. Give to the needy generously, graciously to be seen by God alone. Because if we do that, here will be the outcome. Look again at verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So here's the promise that if we give to be seen by God, he will reward us. If we give to be seen by him for an audience of one, he will reward us. So how on earth do we become people like that? How do we become people who generously give to the needy, not to be seen by man, not even to be seen by ourselves, but to be seen by God alone? Well, the preacher Thomas Chalmers said this up on the screen. This is a very famous quote. He said, Sin has a magnetic power that attracts us. And unless a greater power grips our heart, we remain powerless to change. Sin has a magnetic power that attracts us. And unless a greater power grips our heart, we remain powerless to change. So we can think of it like this up on the screen. That the only way to turn away from the broken cistern of giving to be seen by others and, and giving to be seen by ourselves, the only way we can turn away from those broken cisterns of self-glory is to return to the fountain of living waters. The only way is to return to God, to draw near to him. Because as we draw near to God through spending time with him in his word, and by spending time with him in prayer, here's what happens up on the screen. As we draw near to him, we see who he is. That he is perfect in love and grace and mercy and power and wisdom. That he is everything that we need. As we draw near to him, we see who he is. And as we draw near to him, we see again what he has done. That God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on a cross to make full payment for all who would place their faith in him. That Jesus Christ came to suffer. He came to die horrifically on a cross to make full payment, to make a complete atonement for all of those who will place their faith in him. As we draw near to God, we see who he is. We see what he has done again, and we see what he has promised, including this promise for us today, that if we will give to be seen by God, that he will reward us. And as you and I 
draw near to God and we see who he is again and again. We see what he's done for us again and again. We see what he has promised us. Here's what happens up on the screen. Our hearts change. Our motives change. That's what happens as we draw near to God, see who he is, what he's done, what he's promised. Our hearts change. Our motives change. And then here's what happens. We worship. We worship. And one way that we worship is by doing what God has commanded, which is to generously give to the needy. Not to be seen by man, not to be seen even by ourselves, but to be seen by God alone. This is the work that God does in us as we believe who he is, as we believe what he has promised, and as we believe what he has done for us in the gospel. Amen? And as we now transition to the Lord's Supper, we pause to remember the truth of the gospel. We pause to remember the suffering of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We stop to remember the love of God and the forgiveness of sins that we have received through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes this concerning the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And if you are with us today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are thrilled that you are here. But this particular part of the service is not for you. And we would ask that as the elements come down the aisle that you would allow them to just pass by and that you would take time to observe the faith of those around you. But if you are here, you are saved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you love him, then now is the time of preparation. Now is the time to come before the Lord and to confess sin, to ask him to search our hearts. Now is the time to come before the Lord to remember how deeply he loves you, to remember the suffering of Jesus Christ on that cross on your behalf, and to worship and praise him. There will be verses that will be up on the screen for us to meditate on for the next three minutes or so. And as the elements come down the aisle, please take one. They separate into two. One is bread, one is juice. And once everyone has been served, we will partake of the Lord's Supper together. So this time I'd invite the communion servers to please come forward. And as they do that, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. And we pray now in this moment of preparation, this would be a holy moment for each one of us. This would be a time of confession, search our hearts, and a time of worship as we remember. In Jesus' name.